Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm mischievous Mark Janacchio, founder of Chasing Amazing Blog and the author of 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us for our 12th and final episode of the season of all-new Amazing Spider-Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Uh, It's the final episode, Dan. Uh, It's a little, little sad and bittersweet. Yeah, but, you know, we'll be back before everybody realizes they missed us. There you go. Well, as we've been talking about all season long on the all-new Amazing Spider Talk, we've been taking a closer look at the Stan Lee and Steve Ditko creative run on Amazing Spider-Man. In our most recent episode, we talked about how important the mystery element in Spider-Man comics is, especially as it relates to the Green Goblin and other goblins. (laughs) There were a lot of goblins. (laughs) Um, uh, But today, we're going to fittingly bring the whole thing to a close uh, by discussing the overall big picture legacy of the Lee Ditko run. Uh, I guess the question, Dan, is, is this the best run ever or the greatest run ever? Clearly, we have no bias. Absolutely none. Uh, <laughs> we've given two very easily delineated uh, options, best and greatest. so like mark said we're bringing it all to a close so we're going to be talking about the entire steve dicko and stan lee run on the book which you can find just about anywhere be it the marvel unlimited app or at your local comic book store or even your local library uh which you should definitely be going to i know i do uh (laughs) yeah you can get it pretty much wherever comics are sold so i guess if after all of this you haven't read it yet. You've listened to this whole season and you're like, I still don't really know what they're talking about. Why not do yourself a favor and check it out? It's what, 41, 40 issues? Uh, that's Amazing Spider Man 1 to 38 and the two annuals. So uh, check it out. So uh, that being said, now on to our episode titled best run or greatest run what do you think about spider-man caught on was, do you think it was really just the I can relate to this guy aspect of it? 
I think there were a lot of reasons. I think perhaps the main reason mm -hmm. was the I can relate to him. Because mm -hmm. he was shy. He wasn't that successful with girls. He mm -hmm. had to worry about his family. Mm -hmm. I think most teenagers reading it thought to themselves, hey, that could be me. Mm -hmm. You know, So there certainly was that identification. Right. But beyond that, I think I must say truthfully, I think Steve and I came up with some great stories and right. some great villains. Right, right, right. You know, Doc Ock, Green Goblin, the Sandman. And right. Everything worked. And visually, the Very story was great. character, too. Because the way Steve would have him crawling on walls and swinging on webs, mm -hmm. and it just, everything came together perfectly. I guess before we really get into the thick of this very important debate between best and greatest, you know, I know obviously in terms of you and your fandom, this was a very influential run. And it seems as if you kind of expressed that to somebody related to this run recently. And, um, well, what happened? Oh, we're going to get right into this right away. Well, it's the first note on the page, so I thought we would. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, if people follow me on Facebook, I actually wrote a letter to Steve Ditko about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. And, you know, you send these things, handwritten letter expressing how much, you know, his work meant to me. Uh, the first time I picked up uh, issue 12, the Electro issue, the uh, first Dicko I ever read and one of the first Spider-Man comics I ever read and how much it meant to me. Um, I think it was really, I mean, issue 375 was my first issue, but like you can't really get a great sense of Spider-Man just from that issue. It's kind of an odd one-off battle issue. Um, but reading the Electro issue really introduced me to Peter Parker and his world and I think you could say that about most of the issues from this run, right? They all really round the bases of uh, covering everything you need to know about Peter Parker and Spider-Man. And that Electro issue is great, the whole J. Jonah Jameson mix-up thing. So, yeah, I wrote to Steve, and um, you don't really expect to hear back – well, I mean, you especially don't expect to hear back from Steve Ditko – Right. Um, but I did for like five days later from New York, I got this letter in the mail and my wife came running up the stairs to our apartment, like burst through the door and a thing of energy and ran over. And she was like, you would not believe what just came in the mail. And like dumb me had already forgotten <laughs> that I had sent this letter. I'm like, what is it? I have no idea. And she's like, it's Steve Ditko, which, first of all, I uh, have to express a certain level of uh, excitement that my wife got excited about a letter from Steve Ditko. <laughs> <laughs> I'm clearly winning in that regard. Uh, uh, but uh, so, yeah, Steve wrote me back this really nice letter. Well, you know, very Steve Dicko-y letter. He just addressed all of my questions. I asked him, you know, you're, since your books inspired me so much, uh, you know, were there books that inspired you? Uh, you know, like <laughs> Nick Caputo, when he was a guest on our show, expressed that Steve Dicko was a real champion of the comics medium when he was working 
on the books. So I, I was curious, like, what was he reading that really sold this medium to him? I mean, he's an illustrator. He probably could have gone all kinds of different directions in his career. And the, uh, the, the quote-unquote response goes something like this. I never kept any kind of record of what, quote, inspired me, end quote, or directed me to one area or another. The one thing in doing comic books is that the past work is irrelevant. As a freelancer, my focus is on what's next. Regard, Steve Dicko. So there you go. <laughs> a very unsurprising response. <laughs> but – I have a Steve Ditko letter with his signature on it, and uh, you know, amazing that he writes back to all these fans that write to him. He certainly didn't have to respond. So, uh, thank you, Steve Ditko. I'm sure you're not listening to this. A hundred percent sure you're not listening to this. But I'm going to put it out into the ether. Thank you for the wonderful letter, and uh, yeah, what a great way to cap off this whole season. With uh, getting a letter from Steve Dicko. Good job, Dan. You know, and it goes to show that you just went ahead and did it. I mean, you know, I probably should have just done that when I was writing the book. I know he doesn't give interviews, but I could have used something from a letter probably. But alas. Well, some of us <laughs> go the extra mile, Mark. Well, you know, it's just, you know, it's like that whole thing. Ask a question, you get an answer, you know? like <laughs> I have no right to make fun of you. You you wrote a whole book. <laughs> <laughs> but you have a dick go. <laughs> I do, I do. Now I get to hold that over you in my collection. Forget okay. the annuals. You don't even have a dick go letter. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought, what a great way to, like, end this season off that uh you know with something like that uh i hope uh we can make all of these seasons kind of special in a way uh like that uh i think if we could get at least steve dicko had a word on this podcast stan lee didn't but who'd have thought our best connection go. will be with steve dicko there you go um so dan you know in in that in your kind of setup to the letter, you know, you 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 rose an interesting point about, you know, obviously your first comic on Spider-Man was 375, which was most discernibly not a Steve Dicko or Stan Lee issue. And then you, you know, you eventually came around to reading some Lee and Dicko with the Electro issue. But I'm just kind of curious, were you kind of sold on what they were doing or what they did, I should say, with the character from Jump Street? Or, I mean, was it something that you kind of came to appreciate more as you got a little more into comics and the medium and the character? Um, I'm just kind of curious where you fall on that, because I know where I do. Yeah, immediately I attached to what Lee and Ditko were doing. But I think my viewpoint of it is a little... It's very specific, because... I got that Electro issue and it was a reprint like a week or two after I got my first issue of Spider-Man. So it was probably the second issue I ever read. And I think that's a pretty strong issue to understand the formula of Spider-Man. And then mm -hmm. like a month later, my father bought me the best of Spider-Man, I think the second volume. And it had Amazing Fantasy 15 and the Master Planner in it as the representation – as a representative of the Dicko run, and I mean, those are like two of the best comics ever made, ever. So, like, I entered Dicko with 
you know, with a very, you know, seeing the very best of it. And I mean, who could say no to that? Yeah. I mean, it's just funny because like, I mean, I came to the character uh, and Tiddly and Dicko on a completely different level. I mean, you know, obviously the first I've talked about this ad nauseum over the years. I mean, my first issues of Spider-Man were the Michelini McFarlane run and, um, you know, even some of the first older issues, Silver Age issues that I purchased were like Lee, John Romita Sr. issues. I didn't even really look at a Lee Dicko issue until I was maybe about 14 or 15. So I've been reading comics at that point for a good six or seven years. And I got a very well-read copy of Amazing Spider-Man number 25, the uh, Spider-Slayer debut and I'm I'm not gonna lie, I I was just kind of flummoxed by the whole Lee and Dicko thing. I was like, it it, it didn't seem, I don't know, I didn't quite get it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, it just seemed odd to me. The art seemed odd. I mean, I was so used to that kind of larger than life, very superhero esque art of McFarlane and Larson and later and then going back Ramita. So seeing Dicko's art kind of confused me. And as a result, you know, I, I, I can admit on this podcast here that I, I, I didn't really come to appreciate that those comics in this run, especially until I was probably even in my twenties. I mean, it was just, it just took time and, and, you know, maybe five or six years ago, if someone had asked me the question to pick between Dicko and Ramita, who will be the subject of our next season, spoiler alert, um, I probably would, I, I would have without blinking said Ramita. And I think I still favor Ramita to this day, but it's a much harder choice because I feel like the further and further and further I become ingrained with this character and what he is the more i've come to appreciate just the magic that these two did on this on these issues and with this character i would probably have said the same thing i would probably have gone with ramita and i i was thinking you know when i went to meet stan lee for the first time and get him to sign one of my books i had you know issue 33 and issue 50 and i chose issue 50 for him to sign um, because, you know, both are favorite issues of mine. And I think probably as a kid, I really connected with 50, although the kind of super heroics are more fun in 33. There's just more of it. Um, but I, I chose 50 because I felt like that was more indicative of Stan Lee's actual writing because mm. whether I knew it or not at the time, like there was something so Steve Dicko driven about 33. Um, and even just doing this show, I, I have really come to appreciate the Dicko stuff even more than I already did. But I think I was fortunate that my like really first introduction to the character was weirdly through Dicko in those books. Um, not not that the the Dicko run was really easily available at the time. It's not today you can get it 
you know, digitally and the essentials collections and stuff. And in the early nineties, there wasn't quite the easy access to the whole run as a thing. So it was kind of like, it wasn't even the art style that attracted me to it. I don't think as a kid, it was more like being able to understand the origins of these characters that I really liked was a big draw. Um, Mm. and now it's kind of become everything, you know? Right. Yeah, once you kind of understand how everything is ultimately derived from these issues, you you kind of grow to really love and cherish them. At least that's kind of how I view it. Yeah, and it makes it hard to really make that determination. Is it the best or greatest or is it even the best Spider-Man run? Because you can't really discuss any other run without the context of – Lee and Dicko's run because it is the run that created the character. How do you compare anything to that? You know, like it's forever going to be the run that created Spider-Man. And, um, and I guess as we've discussed, all the stories told here really have become indicative of the framework for how we think about the character, um, which I guess really illustrates its, uh, long lasting power. Right. Well, I mean, putting aside how it stacks up against other runs of Spider-Man, uh, in terms of you know the big picture comic books, superhero comic books especially, I, I I know that you know there are plenty of non-superhero books out there that people love and adore, and probably could stake a claim as the best ever in terms of a run on comics. But um, you know we're we're in the superhero business, so I'm not really interested in comparing those apples and oranges right now but um you know i would say in terms of comparison the most fitting comparisons obviously a contemporary of lee and Ditko was the stan lee jack kirby run on fantastic four which lasted i think at least 100 issues in the 60s until kirby i mean it was really the last book that kirby stayed on until he he left marvel then, of course, there's the Chris Claremont, John Byrne run on Uncanny X-Men, uh, which started in the late 70s, and I think that went into the early 80s. Uh, and that run is known, of course, for, for stories like uh, Days of Future Past, uh, the Dark Phoenix saga. Um, there was just a bunch of other really well-done one-offs and two-parters in that run of stories that fans have beloved. It's pretty much everything in in X-Men media in terms of movies came from those comics. Uh, and then um, another Marvel book that gets mentioned a lot in terms of best ever for superheroes is the Frank Miller, Klaus Janssen run on Daredevil, um, which kind of set the standard for um, kind of dark modern comics. So, it, it you know, you almost kind of have to... It, it, it's almost in its own league from what Spider-Man or Fantastic Four X-Men is, because it, it really is its own flavor of, of storytelling. Um, but all the same, because of how groundbreaking it is, it is considered one of the best runs ever in comics. Um, and then just like a, a last one I'd probably throw out there in terms of uh, superhero comics that gets quoted a lot is the um, Marv Wolfman, George Perez run on Teen Titans in the 80s. That's also kind of contemporary to the... Claremont burn X-Men. So again, I, you know, like 
you kind of have to like you almost have to view those two through the same prism. Um, and I don't know if it applies to Spider-Man per se or like Fantastic Four. Um, you know, Dan, I know you haven't read all of these. I I don't I I've I've read most of these, but not all of them. Um, but you know, it's it is interesting to kind of put this up there because I I, I do think that um, as much as we do love. The Amazing Spider-Man by Lee and Ditko. I mean, there are there are some pros and some cons that you probably need to to measure against it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I haven't read. I've read the Daredevil run you mentioned. I'm reading Lee and Kirby's Fantastic Four right now. But my my big thing that I think I would lay at the feet of Lee and Ditko's Amazing Spider-Man is. I don't know that Marvel would exist in the way that it does without this run of comics. The Peter Parker formula, the troubled everyman superhero, is essentially Marvel's calling card. You know, maybe not everybody is an everyman. You know, Thor and and Iron Man certainly aren't, you know. But uh, Peter Parker, like perfected this in this run and i think most of their identity is built around this kind of the world right outside your window thing that i don't think kirby's fantastic four was really doing it was so fantastical even though it existed in new york all of the villains in the first i mean well like almost the whole run are these galactus larger than life Right. Whole people. Um, well, that's – yeah. I mean that's kind of actually – you know, as as much as Spider-Man kind of centered on the friendly neighborhood aspect of Marvel, which was a very distinct Marvel thing. I mean Fantastic Four was the book that kind of pushed the boundaries of what superhero comics could be. So I guess it's, it kind of comes down to what your preference is. I mean do you want these far out cosmic bending stories? If that's it, you're probably going to say, well, Lee Kirby – fantastic four um but if you're someone who identifies more with like the personal struggle of of a hero you're gonna go spider-man with lee dicko yeah yeah and it is and i maybe i'm showing my colors is that i've never really been into like marvel's galactic side you know i read it all but it, it doesn't connect for me in the way that a daredevil or a spider-man does uh because I mean, for all the obvious reasons that they're like people like me in some regard. I'm with you on that. I'm just saying, like, in terms of where things are coming from. I mean, like Lee, Lee, the Fantastic Four run kind of it, it really you're looking at two different Marvel templates, but they're templates all the same that have been kind of done over and over again. I mean, in terms of the Spider-Man Lee Dicko Spider-Man template and the Lee Kirby Fantastic Four template, it's probably of all the options I threw out there, the most pr- appropriate in terms of comparison, because you really are looking at contemporaries and two very different ideas and, and what can be accomplished with those ideas and what can be built out of those ideas. I don't think the stories are any better or worse i mean galactus trilogy is is i love the galactus trilogy in terms of fantastic four comics but um you know i can't say 
it's any better than the Master Planner trilogy in terms of really intense storytelling. In fact, I would probably go with Master Planner because it's more personal. Um, it's a more personal struggle, and I like that more. Um, I know the whole family element of the Fantastic Four was very unique to it, but you don't find those stories to be somewhat similar to what the competition was doing. This kind of, you know, like Superman, these these larger than life stories. Like to me, Spider-Man just stands out as this real anomaly in that era. Uh, yeah, I mean, I know what you're saying, but like there, there was just something discernibly different. In terms of like the far outness of Fantastic Four, because like I, my sense was looking back at like old Justice Leagues and Supermans and stuff, you know, it would be like, oh, here's an alien from space and, you know, he's here to do stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, so basically uh, like early Thor and early Incredible Hulk issues. Exactly. Whereas Fantastic Four, like it kind of really pushed the boundaries of like there is a universe beyond this that it's just as important as the universe on Earth. You know, like Galactus is, you know, he's an he's a, he's he's basically an element. You know what I mean? Like he's he's some you know, and and like ditto ditto like the fact that he has this herald, the Silver Surfer, that like is spotting out galaxies for their resources to be drained and stuff like that. It's very really like deep heavy cosmic stuff going on in those books you know um and then like you know they would follow that up with like the the really great one-off issue with the thing this man this monster and it's like you know that's kind of like their you know the one-two punch of okay well we told this really far out galactic story now we're going to tell a very personal story about the thing and his relationship with everyone on the team. Um, and that was kind of the, the majesty of it. And, and of course, the other thing with Fantastic Four, and I think this is one of the general overall demerits against Lee Dicko, and I think some of our readers kind of wrote in about this, was, um, you know, Lee, Lee Kirby, Fantastic Four, went on for over 100 issues. Uh, Lee Dicko, Spider-Man, only went on for about, you know, with the annuals, about 40-something issues. It, it feels very short and abbreviated, and and there's a discernible cutoff point on Lee Dicko after Master Planner. You could tell Dicko had checked out at that. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, you know, like Master Planner just feels like this like perfect encapsulation. They finally figured it out. This is like the best comics are ever going to get, and then it's just like done. Like that's might as well end the run there. Right uh, at that high point. Right, but um. You know, just some other pluses, I would say, in the in the Lee Dicko camp. I mean, you know, we obviously talked about this at length in one of our episodes earlier this season, but I mean, you, we can't say it enough. The Rogues Gallery that they put forward. I mean, like, okay, you could maybe say Batman's got better villains, but you know, Bill Finger and Bob King weren't out there creating all of these villains in rapid succession the way Lee and Dicko were on Spider-Man, you know, like, I mean, in, in during Spider-Man, you, you, they pumped out one after the other, Vulture, Sandman, uh, Doc Ock, uh, <laughs> Electro, Mysterio, Craven, chameleon, Green Goblin. Yeah. Yeah. Chameleon. I mean, like it just, it, it's, you know, basically every, all of the major, certainly all the major Spider-Man villains and at least a, a half dozen, 
top tier Marvel villains all getting pumped out in the span of a couple of years. I mean, it's 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 unheard of. You you know, even you know, again, even these other runs that we're talking about. I mean, on X Men, I mean, you know, they were still using Magneto and still you you know what I mean? Like this isn't like. Um, you know, like X Men, they were playing around with the timeline, with Days of Future Past, and okay, well, we're gonna we're gonna take the Phoenix, we're gonna take Jean Grey, who had become the Phoenix early, you know, a couple of years earlier, and now we're gonna make her the Dark Phoenix, you know, so she's evil now, and it's like, okay, I mean, we've we've kind of dealt with heroes going rogue, that does that wasn't completely unheard of at that point, but. Um, you know, these are these are all in on Lee Deco, wholly original villains with their own personalities, their own quirks, their own origin stories. Um, some more elaborate than others, and 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 in the same vein, the, the supporting cast is on is unparalleled on Spider Man. I mean, you know, you have Aunt May and Jameson and Flash and Betty Brant and and you know all of these very different, distinct characters with their own personalities, their own quirks. Um, no other comic book series I really think can claim that. I mean, Fantastic Four has Doctor Doom and then the Mole Man. <laughs> and even I mean, Doctor Doom takes a long time to really establish himself as an interesting character. I mean, his first story is sending the Fantastic Four back to find Blackbeard's treasure. Um, right. Although that's probably about as equally goofy as the Green Goblin's first story. Right, right. But uh <laughs> And both have the same kind of mystery angle, who's the guy behind the mask, you know. Right. Uh right. that kind of thing. Um but yeah, your 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 point is made. The the Fantastic Four's villains, you know, there's some great ones, but I don't think anybody figured out their formula as quickly as Spider Man did. You know, you've got some missteps like the Tinkerer early on, but the first issue, you know, you got this great thing with Jameson and and the rocket by issue three, you've got Dr. Octopus in, yeah. in like early Hulk and Thor and fantastic four. They're fighting people that you would never hear from ever again, uh, for like a dozen issues. Spider-Man was already a hundred percent committed to the world that it had created. Absolutely. Um, and then, you know, the other thing you gotta, you gotta put in Spider-Man's camp. And again, we talked about this at length in a couple episodes is the origin story. I mean, this is, it's, it's probably the second most famous origin in comics. And, and I would only say second most is because we've seen Martha Wayne and her pearls and the gunshots in, 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 you know, Gotham's alley more than we've seen Uncle Penn get killed. <laughs> you know, it's but, funny you say that because I had a friend message me the other day like, hey, did I miss something? Or why didn't he get bit by a spider in Spider-Man Homecoming? And my response was, because you know about that. You just right. told me the story. Like, right, exactly. You, you don't need it anymore. Uh, right. And I'm thankful. That, that we got to see the pearls again in Batman v Superman – I think half the audience was like ready to chew off their own arm. Right, right. But I mean, you know, and and even beyond the fame of the origin and of poor Uncle Ben, I mean, it's it's just, you know, we talked about this when we were talking about, you know, the the remixes of the origin. It's it's such a well-done origin story. It's very it's, you know, people who've tried to redo it have 
either failed or just acknowledged I can't change it, so let me just do my own thing. You know, <laughs> like it's 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 perfect. It's a perfect or I, I mean, you know, I, I, I there's very little in comics I would call perfect, but Amazing Fantasy 15 I would call perfect, right? I would agree. I would agree. Our only so, A plus grade we've ever given to a comic. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I mean, you know. <laughs> You know, we've talked about like the everyman fact and, you know, we've talked about kind of its influence on other Spider-Man media. I mean, it, it, this is the run more often than not in the, in the animated series and movies, whatever. It's going to get referenced. I mean, you know, but again, does that make it the greatest or the best? I don't know. I mean, do, are there other, other runs of Spider-Man that you like more? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a tough question. You said, are there runs that I like more? I think there are runs that um, represent the character in a way that I fundamentally like more or it has more emotion or I'm more excited about it. Um, You know, like I would say Stern's run, uh, JMS's run for the most part, um, even Slot Superior I think is more like viscerally exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like much of Bendis' ultimate run – like these are things I'd reread more often than I reread Ditko's stuff. Um, I don't know if they would be better. They're all really reliant on Ditko and and that formula and having twenty twenty hindsight to do something unique. But I I think one of the things that sets all of those stories that I just set aside um, and makes them good or better than average in terms of Spider-Man or maybe something I like more than Ditko um, is that while they're contingent on the, on the first runs, creations and ideas, they largely avoid the villains created by Ditko and Lee and come up with new scenarios. Like Stern had all new villains and black cat and the hobgoblin, even though that mystery was very similar and like JMS, like, Asked you to completely rethink the origin while not really delving into it too much, the actual origin. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we've talked about slots superior to death, but, you know, there's nothing really Ditko about that other than Otto being present. How about you? Do you, I mean, do you, is, this, is this your number one Spider Man run? Um, <laughs> It's a hard question because it, it's it's like like you acknowledge it's it's hard to you don't want to like completely dismiss it or I shouldn't say dismiss it but like it's, it it's it's responsible for so much <laughs> you know like you're just kind of like you know you don't want to be there and and um make it sound like oh well you know there are still some flaws in it blah 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 I mean at the end of the day like runs of Spider-Man I like more. I mean, like you mentioned, the Stern I like in terms of just overall pure joy reading and things that I've reread and reread. I'm not that I don't reread these Lee Dicko issues a lot, but like the Stern run, I I, I and the Stern Romito run I just adore. The DeFalco Friends run I just adore. I mean even the Lee Romita run I adore, but again there's there's some element to that where it's like, you know, yeah, there's some parts of it that are great, but then there are some parts that are not so great and, and a lot of it is kind of owed up to its influence, I think, more than its actual quality. Ultimate the you know, like those first like what, like 
50 or 60 issues of Ultimate. I mean, that's like some of the best comics I've ever read. I, I they're, they're a joy. I would read them over and over and over and over again, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. It's just, although that might be a case where it's almost like, did it go on too long? You know, the Bendis Bagley run. Um, never, never. It just had I know. A, it just had a couple bad uh, stories. Right, right. But I, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it, it's also like something that I would probably put up there. So, um, you know, I mean, the things that you kind of, that kind of work against Lee and Ditko, I mean, we mentioned the duration of it. I think it's too short. Um, and kind of, it just feels like it ends abruptly. Like, like you said, like the story, the story actually really ended in 33 with Master Planner. And then it was like, oh, but we're going to keep going. And, and, and you could tell it was just like, oh, let's keep going now. And I mean, you know, there are certain comics, although I would say Spider-Man less so than a lot of other Marvel comics at this time. But it's still there are still issues that suffered from that kind of, you know, hokey Stan Lee-isms that a lot of the comics had at that time. Um, you As know, made Ditko, fun of in that dead, special Deadpool issue. Exactly. You know, Ditko as as brilliant as he was as both an artist and a plotter i mean you know like i would say there are other artists i still like just pure eye test i like more i mean i think like kirby has more polish and and you know his characters i think are more memorable and markable marketable for lack of a better word but then also like you know other artists like ramita george perez john byrne i mean these are like i mean the, the artwork there is just like unparalleled in terms of the, dy- the the dynamic nature of it. Right. Well, how um, often do you see Dicko's drawings on backpacks and baseball caps and things right. like that? I even have several students that have John Romita Sr. artwork on their, you know, Spider-Man book bags and stuff. And it's like, I've never seen a Dicko book bag. No, no. And then like, you know, in terms of individual stories, you know, we talk about Master Planner a lot. We talk about origin, the origin story a lot. But, like, there's not a lot of individual stories from Lee Dicko that I feel like have kind of lasted the test of time. I mean, we like, like, the Goblin Crime Master story. But I think outside of, like, hardcore Spider-Man fans, I don't think a lot of people talk about that story. You know? Yeah. People talk about Craven's Last Hunt. And all those things. Um, yeah, yeah, or yeah. the Hobgoblin, or Superior Spider-Man, <laughs> or, you know, like, those Those are the stories that have had this, like, lasting impact, and, um, you know. But um, Master Planner shows up in, like, every Spider-Man movie ever. Every time right. he lifts something, they're like, oh, Ma-, you know, Master Planner, yeah, to the point yeah, that yeah. it, like, happened in Homecoming, and I'm like... I'm really glad they did this, but we also saw this in Spider-Man 2 and yada, right. yada, 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 yada. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So that's kind of, you know, not that we're really coming to a scientific conclusion here. But, I mean, I, I, I when people criticize it or or just don't go all in the way we are kind of going in here, I think that's where those arguments are coming from. But, um you know we're biased, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I I would I would put it my money on it being like one of the most influential runs of comics ever. I think uh, it created a whole new avenue of pop culture and a new 
character archetype in the medium that would go on to largely define superhero comics at, like on the whole, you know, and I think, yeah, you're right. The Fantastic Four is a good kind of counterpart to that, and DC's got their own thing. But I think there are so many books that are trying to be Spider-Man. Um, you know, no, make no mistake, this incredibly bizarrely costumed character that's a spider character is Marvel's flagship character. You know, there's just something about it that connects beyond all of the obvious detractors that, you know, anybody looking at it on the surface would, would see. Right. Um, well, Dan, you and I, we got, we, we kind of put it out there to our, our listeners to give us some feedback and, you know, why don't we go over some of the responses we got, you know, the first two here, I believe these were both, uh, Twitter responses. This is from, uh, longtime listener, Dennis Mercer, uh, who mentioned that, um, he believes Lee Dicko is the greatest Spider-Man run. Without it, nothing exists. Uh, they built up so much mythology and classic characters in a relatively short time, and pop culture would not be the same without these issues. That kind of echoes a lot of what we've been saying. Um, and another comment that kind of echoes us is from uh, Gonza, and he wrote, uh, From Lee Dicko, Spidey to present, almost every comic book tells a Peter story, an average person with the same problems and moral dilemmas as us. We love drama. Maybe it's not a surprise that a romance comics artist took Ditko's place. That's referring to Ramita. And that's an interesting point. You know, it's kind of like, you know, we, we always think of kind of Ramita coming in to kind of put out the fire of Ditko quitting. But, I mean, there definitely was a calculation to it as well. Absolutely. We got a, another message from Levi Hunt, who is a contributor to my site. And uh, Levi writes, it's possibly the most important also the Fantastic Four run, but it's not the best Marvel run, and he says Claremont's X-Men fills that role, or even the best Spider-Man run, and he says he prefers Romita with Lee and Romita Jr. with Stern and Bendison Bagley. Um, but he says, influential, important, and foundational don't trump emotional for me in terms of best reads. Those few other runs I mentioned are more fun, more thrilling, and more heartfelt for me. Dicko Lee is up there, but Dicko checking out after My Destiny and then leaving shortly after is like if Jack left after Galactus Trilogy. Feels like it just ended as it was becoming great. So I think Levi echoes a lot of our sentiments. Um, similarly, Thomas Metz also wrote to us and said, It's one of the best, but I would rate Claremont Burns X-Men higher. Proteus, Wolverine vs. the Hellfire Club, Magneto's Volcano Base, and the two better-known stories, which we already mentioned. And then also similar to that, Kevin Ewing, uh, a longtime listener, uh, wrote in to us saying, I really enjoyed the format of the show in the first season covering the Lee Dicko era. I hold their run in a very high regard, and it still holds up for me after recently rereading it back in 2016. But the best superhero comic run in history... It is certainly up there, but I'd have to give the top spot to Claremont's X-Men run and the claremont Byrne collaboration specifically. Lee Dicko would get my vote for stop Spidey run of all time, edging out Lee Romita, Stern, JMD, and Slot runs. Yes, Slot, please don't hate me. <laughs> um, so it looks like Kevin uh, is echoing this kind of Claremont support. Lots of love for the Claremont run. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, when like sites like Comics Should Be Good, which I know is just all part of CBR now, but uh, it's it's still Comics Should Be Good to me. <laughs> um, uh, you know, whenever they do like their top reader lists, Claremont Burn X-Men always kind of comes up top and and, you know, I get where it's coming from and I don't, I think on a very kind of parochial level, I don't disagree with it. Um, you know, there, I, I'm not going to lie. Personally, there's something about Claremont's writing that leads me a little cold. Um, but those stories are those stories. And, and the fact of the matter is, I mean, you know, they took these characters that, I mean, well, frankly, the, the, the X-Men at that point, you know, the team was pretty brand new. Um, but even beyond that, the X-Men as a concept, not that they were a failure, but they were not popular and they turned them into the most popular thing in the world. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so, um, it's, it's, there's something to be said about that. I mean, you know, like they turned Wolverine into a household name. I mean, it's so like, again, it's, it, it, it kind of comes down to, well, is it because it's the best or because it's the most influential? I think because it's newer, people may not. They may, they may not be seeing the forest from the trees there the way they are with Lee Ditko. I mean, we kind of take for granted that, well, clearly it's influential. It was the first, whereas Claremont and Byrne, they came on to the X-Men 20 years later. But the fact of the matter is it was basically a whole new book by the time they came on it. It was a completely different concept. Does that make it the best? I don't know. I, I mean, like, you know, they, they built up Wolverine the way Lee and Ditko built up Spider-Man. But, of course, they also built up Colossus and... Uh, and and Cyclops and well Cyclops had been created but Nightcrawler and Storm so I mean they had a little more to play with and and the fact that it was a team book and they built so much mythology within this team is kind of impressive in its own right so very good argument all right who else will we hear from well of course we have uh, a friend of the pod Bob Batchelor who uh, fresh off his Stan Lee book. Uh, he wrote, yep, established an unknown character into arguably the most iconic superhero of all time. It made heroes human. Uh, agree with that. Uh, Matt here wrote, I found the episodes discussing Stanley and Steve Ditko especially fascinating as they shattered my impressions of both creators and really made me realize that Spider-Man wasn't a great, wasn't a grand plan. It was created at Marvel offices and could have never really caught on at all. Having grown up with Spider-Man, I knew this, but your discussion made me realize it in a more crystallized way that I could put words and ideas to. So look at us having an influence, Dan. Maybe we're the most influential. <laughs> that that uh, that sounds like a good place to end the conversation. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean coming down to it at the end of the day, like – it's hard for me to say this is like the best or the greatest run of comics of all time, probably because I'm not reading it as it came out, but it is uh, – it means so much to me and it's been a real blast to discuss it in pretty minute detail with you. Um, I'm sure we could have done this for another 20 episodes, but I felt like we really like got really deep into this. I think you wanted to do another 20 episodes, and you can blame me for making it only 12. <laughs> <laughs> you know, now that we've done 12, I'm glad we only did 12. <laughs> I just still remember when we were first planning this out. I was like, 
you were like, we should do individual episodes on Aunt May and Jameson and Betty Brand and <laughs> not Betty Brand. I <laughs> now I'm exaggerating a little bit. <laughs> well, Mark, uh, I'll let you have the last word on that. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I'm, gl- I'm glad that we got to talk about this, Dan. I mean, you know, this is kind of we started the show. Oh, God. Almost five years ago now. <laughs> and, um, quote, Mark, this is a quote from Mark. If I'm still doing this in five years, I won't know <laughs> what to do with myself. There we go. <laughs> um, but the fact of the matter is, you know, we never got to kind of do the show this way until we, we, we decided, hey, it's our show. We're not married to anything. Let's do it different. And and I'm glad. I mean, this change, I feel, I mean, at least for us, I feel it's reinvigorated some things. But, you know, it's also not for nothing giving me yet another new appreciation for the work of Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. I mean, I, 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 I definitely, as I wrote Chasing Amazing and Superior Spider Talk and then wrote the book, I mean, you know, you definitely kind of get this appreciation of it. Uh, I mean, I was so I was neck deep in it during the book. So, I mean, I don't even know if it was appreciation as much as just total immersion and osmosis. But um, I definitely would say that doing this season on the podcast, it's like, you know, I mean, beyond just being able to get to reread these stories again that I love so much, it's just kind of viewing the intricacies of it and having folks, uh, the folks and the guests that we had on talk about it from their um, perspective. I think it just really kind of. It just really sealed my appreciation for the work that they did. Yeah, Mark, this was a really awesome experience. And um, I also just want to say thank you to you, the listener, for joining us on this journey. If you're listening to this, it's the end of the season. Congratulations. You made it. You made it to our final episode. And uh, we've loved having you. Uh, whether you've been quietly listening or writing to us, uh it's great to know that you're out there listening and joining us for this journey. Yes. Thanks. Thanks to everyone. Of course, who tuned in on this, our final episode of an all new amazing spider talk, but Dan, we're not going away quietly into the night. This is not a one season episode uh, series. We're not freaks and geeks of the podcast world. There's more to come. Uh, We're going to be taking a little bit of a break for the next month or so, give or take. Um, although we will also be having some special episodes in between because, you know, we never can totally disappear. But in terms of this thematic season-esque type content, we will be doing something for season two. And Dan, what is that going to be? Yeah, uh, as you said, Mark, sadly, we need to have some time to do some research for the next season to pull all the episodes together and book some fabulous guests But our next season, and you kind of let the cat out of the bag, even though it's probably fairly obvious, but our next season is going to be called Big Time. And no, we're not talking about Dan Slott's Big Time. We're talking about Spider-Man's Big Time, his explosion into pop culture with the Lee and John Romita Sr. run on the book, the hugely successful run that had all these ripple effects into every element of culture, be it television shows, action figures, costumes. The world was introduced to Spider-Man in a huge way, and we're going to cover it in our next season. 
Absolutely. So uh, we wouldn't have been able to do this season of the all-new Amazing Spire Talk without our Patreon subscribers. Plug, plug. So thank you all so much for the help in keeping us funded and working hard through the hours of research and editing that go into the show. Uh, As a thank you, we'll be uh, continuing to podcast on our Patreon feed throughout the break. Uh, And we've got some uh, great episodes planned, Dan. Um, Like what? Well, uh, you know, last week, you and I, we reviewed Amazing Spider-Man 791 and closed out that Fall of Parker storyline. But we'll be continuing. We're going to cover the Venom Inc. story that's going on as well. Uh, We're going to talk about Venom Inc. Alpha this week. But we also want to talk about um, all kinds of other new stuff like that new Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse trailer that just dropped. Our favorite Spider-Man video games with a special guest. And our favorite Spider-Man Christmas issue of all time that has been a big thing going back between <laughs> Mark and I for years. Uh, and I also just wanted to say that um, I get messages from our listeners all the time. You know, Some people have loved this new change for the show, and other people have expressed to me how much you miss the old monthly review episodes of the show. And I just want, really want to remind you that you can have it all. You can have your cake, eat it too, uh, and take that whole cake debacle to the Supreme Court if you really want to. Uh, <laughs> for just three ninety nine a month, that's the price of a new comic a month, or even less than the price of a new comic if you're talking about Venom Inc. Alpha, which was four ninety nine. Uh, <laughs> I just wanted to say. Um, and yeah, that's just one more comic. That's the price of one more comic for all the podcasts that you love uh, uh, that Mark and I do. So if you're really yeah. desiring that, it's theirs for yours to get for a really low price. Yeah, don't forget, Dan, we got an issue 800 coming up at some point. I'm sure that's going to be like $30 brand new. <laughs> <laughs> well, so for the, for the price of 10, 10 copy, uh, for, for, no, for. One tenth of a of an Amazing Spider-Man number eight hundred, you can get a Patreon subscription. <laughs> yeah, so uh, please come check us out there on our Patreon feed. I really think the value is is worth it. And speaking of which, uh, if for ten dollars a month, that's the upgraded tier, you'll get all that stuff, but you also get exclusive commissioned artwork in the mail every six months. And since we're at the six-month mark, I've been told that our artwork is nearing completion from Ron Friends. So I'm hoping to have all of that artwork sent out to all of our Patreon members at that price point in the new year. Thanks for your patience, but that artwork is on its way. Don't you worry. I'm just as excited as you are to see what it looks like when it's done. Sweet. So anyway, keep your eyes on this feed over the next few months because you'll never know what might pop up. We'll definitely be releasing an episode soon with all the details about our next season and when you should expect it to start. We hope you enjoyed this first season and tell all your friends about it as we get ready to dive into our next spectacular season of the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. Dan, where can we find you on the social meds? Yeah, during the break, I'm always on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at, at @supspidertalk, where I discuss all of my Spider-Man writings and thinkings and complainings. I feel like I'm turning into a grouchy old man 
and I'm gaining a reputation, at least on the Ultimate Spin, I am, which is another <laughs> place you can find me on the Ultimate Spin podcast discussing Miles Morales and Spider-Gwen and Spider-Men 2, that crazy series. And uh, I also write on SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. Uh, I just put a review up for Venom, Inc. Alpha, where I also acted like a grouchy old man. Mark, what about you? Where can people find you on the internet in the interim? Well, I mean, if you're a grouchy old man, what does that make me? Like the grouchiest old man or what? I mean, <laughs> it's entirely possible. I mean, come on. I mean, have you met me? Um, yeah, of course you can, you can, uh, check me out on Chasing ASM blog, uh, where I am talking about comics and complaining about my fantasy football team and politics and everything else. So it's just the greatest Twitter feed in the world. Uh, you can find me on superiorspidertalk.com. Thank you, Dan, for, in- for taking over on the uh, Carnage, or excuse me, Venom story. It felt like Carnage. Uh, <laughs> um, speaking of Carnage. Oh, shots fired. I know, right? <laughs> um, but, you know, I will hopefully be resuming on, on the next issue of Amazing Spider-Man for that. Uh, and then, of course, my book. It makes a great Christmas present. 100 things Spider-Man fans should know and do before they die. Uh, you know, get it for all your friends. Amazon has been selling it for nothing on the Kindle edition. Uh, I, I almost kind of loathe luring people there because then I don't get the the royalties that I should be getting for it. But God damn it, Amazon is just giving it away. <laughs> so, <laughs> but get Dude, the hard copy. <laughs> get the hard copy and let me know and I can send you a book plate signature, okay? So what we're, we're saying is we're updating our Christmas tunes to Two Turtle Doves. And Mark's book, Under the Tree. Nice, nice. There we go. All right. Uh, So, you know, Mark, if we cracked open your book next to the fire while drinking eggnog, I'm sure one of the chapters, one of the 100 chapters of your book would enlighten us with some of the most touching uh, mantras to come out of the Spider-Man books, as established by Lee and Dicko. Uh, what 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 one would you start with if you had to start with one? Um, I would say, well, first of all, make sure there's some bourbon in that eggnog, and of course, with great podcasts, must also come the all new Amazing Spider Talk. Mm-hmm.